It's the first time out of these 21 years that Brad Doherty, former NBA star, uh, now motorsports famous uh, Brad Doherty, joining us here in the Freak Nation. And and Brad, why in the hell did it take 21 years to get you in the Freak Nation, buddy? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I, I have no idea. Uh, you guys do a, an incredible job. You've got an incredible show, incredible platform, and just appreciate uh, you all continue to perpetuate the message of motorsports. But but thanks. Yeah, we, you know, it took a while, but I'm here and glad to be here. Brad Doherty joining us here in the Freak Nation. Stat, man, and myself are quite familiar before you joined the ranks of television and ownership in NASCAR uh, of what you did on the court in the NBA and in college. But I would say that the majority of people prior to you joining the ranks of motorsports had no idea that you were a former big-time basketball star. How long did it take people to actually find out that you had a previous life? You know, it's it's been interesting. Uh, it, it, it once you see me, you kind of start. If you can't figure it out, <laughs> you probably got something got something wrong with you. But yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not the average uh, bear when I'm walking around the racetrack. I'm I'm a really I'm a tall guy and pretty large. So uh, either I had a career at, at picking oranges or I played basketball. I mean, it was it's pretty obvious, and uh, so. You know, you can ask me one of the two and you kind of figure it out. And then, you know, it goes off from there. But the thing is funny, you know, I've been racing since, uh, I've been racing since the mid 80s and it goes in cycles. I mean, people, I've been in the, in the NASCAR Cup Series for over a decade, uh, go back into the, the Xfinity of Bush Series and then the Truck Series. And there's still people that I, I see today and I do the broadcast for NBC on the weekends that, just have no idea that I, I'm involved in, in, in racing and they just can't, they can't seem to, to put it together. It just bothers them. I don't know why. I don't know. It just, you know, I get it every week. Somebody asks, you know, you you play basketball. How or why are you involved in racing? And it's like, I, well, is it illegal? Is my, am I doing something wrong? Uh, it just bothers people. I don't know. I guess because I look like a basketball guy, I'm supposed to be playing basketball, which I did, by the way. So I don't know. Isn't that interesting, though? I feel like over the last 18 months, blame COVID, thank COVID, whatever, we've we've gotten to know each other a little bit better around the world. And I find that people are so they're so fascinated with putting people in these boxes. And once you're in a certain box, you can't do anything else. But it's like, come on. No, we are human beings. We can absolutely spread our wings and go in multiple different directions. And you are the perfect example of that because you have interest in real estate and other business developments. What's this new thing you have going on with Octagon? Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, but thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah. I've been, uh, so I was a client, um, uh, with Octagon for about 30 years. And so I was, when I was drafted uh, in 1986, uh, it was advantage international. They since became Octagon. Uh, I chose them as the agency to represent me, to be my talent agent. And so we've been together for over 30, what, 35, almost 35 years. And throughout the years, uh, I've done a lot of things. I've done some broadcasting. I've done some TV and uh, my motorsports stuff. And then I've done a little bit of of consulting and some business things. So uh, Phil DiPicciato is the chairman of our company started talking to me about a year ago. He's like, you know, I'm always calling you as a resource. And, uh, you know, there's all these different tentacles that, that come from Brad. And 
uh, why don't we look at creating an opportunity where we can be impactful and give back um, to the to the sporting community and and in some way, shape, form? So myself and some other executives at Octagon got together and we we came up with an initiative to really help uh, you know athletes as they get to come you know to the, towards the climax of their careers, uh, tr- helping them figure out ways to transition, as well as uh, young entrepreneurs. Um, in, in, in sports who are interested in things outside of basketball. Maybe we can help them uh, create some platforms to get into some different uh, business opportunities in a smart way, in an accountable way. And so Octagon has, has given myself and Marvin Lewis and Eddie Pope and Mike Luit from the NHL, NHL. He's putting us together, and we're kind of the think tank to create some opportunities for the uh, – the NBA and the NCAA and the National Hockey League and the NFL and any and all. So it's an exciting endeavor. And uh, Octagon has given us all the resources and tools, the educational tools to help people, uh, uh, athletes in particular, to transition into their second act. So uh, I'm kind of the best guy for that because I've had like three or four acts. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Olympic athletes, I would imagine they would fit inside what you're trying to do as well. Absolutely. You know, we all as athletes are so hyper-focused on our careers, you know, and a lot of us from, from a very young age, very early age, and you see yourself, and if you're lucky enough to play uh, at the highest level in whatever sport, uh, you know, you as a kid, you see yourself in those big moments, but you don't really think about, you know, retiring. And you, as a professional athlete, you retire very, very young. So you have the rest of your life, and uh, you have to understand and 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 entertain the idea of having, like you say, a second career. And what is that? How do you do that? And the same thing for for college athletes and and athletes in general. You know, once the the air goes out of the ball or the race car stops, you run out of fuel. What do you do next? <laughs> and how do you do that? How do you intellectually engage uh, your hopes and dreams and and take those steps at a usually at a, you know, like I said, with professional athletes, you're a pretty much, pretty, you know, full-grown adult. How do you do that all of a sudden? It's very difficult. So hopefully we can help them transition. Brad Doherty, is it natural for you to be in business? Many athletes think they could play forever, uh, but is it natural for you to make this transition into the business world? You know, for me, it really started uh, when I was playing. I had the good fortune um, so my, my mentor was, was coach Dean Smith and I, I just so blessed to have had him in my life for, for so many years because he was that, that mentor that would kind of always he put a hand on you, a firm hand on your shoulder and kind of guide you in a direction. He'd let you bump your head or scrape your knee, but he would always let you kind of figure it out. And then as you started to figure it out, he would channel you in a certain direction. And so. I remember when I when I first got into the made it to the NBA and and you know you're you're chosen to play a professional sport. I'm a small town kid from a from a little town of Black Mountain, North Carolina, up in Western North Carolina. You know, a little farm kid. You know, you never think about the economics of life as you're you're growing up. You just want to play ball or drive a race car or do those things. And uh, so I I become the first pick in the NBA draft in 1986. So you know, financially, my life is going to change dramatically. And I remember my first year in the NBA, uh, Coach Smith, before I left to go play for Cleveland, he told me, he says, all right, he said, 
I need your permission, but you're going to do this. And I said, okay. He said, I'm, I need to have access to your finances. He said, I want to see what you're doing with your money and, and help you manage what you're doing as you go throughout this journey. And wow. this is someone I trusted with my life. So, you know, if someone said that today, we would all get you know, lawyers involved and have this person probably put in jail for trying to do whatever. <laughs> so I did that. And, and as I got a little way into my first year in the NBA, uh, my first couple of months, I, I would get a call. I would get a call like every two weeks after the first two months from Coach Smith. And he'd be like, all right, I see where you bought, you know, a, a, a second car. I saw where you bought this. He's like, why do you, why do you need that? And I'm like, well, you know, I made a little bit of money. I, you know, I, I always had an old raggedy car. I bought myself a nice car. He said, no, I didn't say that. You bought two cars. Why do you need two cars? You're one person. So he would, it was this every month. And so it became a running joke for all the guys who played in the NBA who went to North Carolina. When we were playing the <laughs> Lakers, James Worthy, we would be standing there before the game just catching up. He'd be like, man, Coach Smith called you. Said, yeah. He called me yesterday. He's like, I know, man. He called me on Monday. He's like, I bought a Rolex watch. He's giving me a hard time. He wants me to take it back and give the money. And then so when I would see Michael, whenever we play the Bulls, he's like, you get your call from Coach Smith? Yeah, I got my call from Coach Smith. He's like, oh, man, he's on me too. So we were just blessed to have this person in our life. So to answer your question, so when I got halfway through my MBA career, I started thinking about, you know, what am I interested in? And I've always been interested in cars. and I, I've always tinkered with hot rods and did all these types of things. So there was a gentleman who was giving us vehicles, courtesy vehicles, to some, to some of the starters. Uh, and he was a sponsor of the Cavaliers, the same with Jim Herrick and he owned this uh, car dealership in Cleveland called Liberty Ford. And so I was talking to him one day and I just asked him, I said, you know, I want to know, I want to learn how the car business works. And he says, well, how much do you want to learn? I said, I want to learn from soup to nuts, how the car business works. He said, all right. He said, whenever you have an extra two hours in your day, call me and you come out to the dealership and I'll start showing you how things work. So, for the next two years, every time I had an extra hour or two after practice or after shoot around, I'd drive out to his car store. And he would sit there with me and he showed me the basics on how to run a car dealership, how the automobile industry works. And so we started, you know, in, in the front of the store and he showed me, you know, this is all the accounting. This is the numbers. This is what it looks like. This is how you floor plan. And then he took me to the back of the store and showed me how the dealership made money. And so I could understand the revenue streams off of oil changes, off of, you know, whenever there was a recall, how he got his money. I, and so I started, I did this for two years. And uh, after my, my second year of doing this with him, I said, I, I want to get in the car business. And he said, okay, what, what type of car dealership? I said, well, I want to I be a Ford dealer. How do, I, how do I pursue that? He said, all right, I'll help you pursue that. So that's where I got kind of, I had two two guys, two gentlemen in my life, and Dean Smith and Jim Herrick, who kind of pushed me down these paths and gave me opportunity to learn and gave me access to learn. And from there, uh, I just flourished. And so I end, ended up getting into the, the car business back in the, the 90s and uh, ended up having multiple dealerships and uh, over the years and, and ended up selling those. I still own a car dealership in Tennessee and so that kind of got it started on from the business side. And 
through all the, you know, the peaks and valleys and the, the pitfalls and the winds, you know, you, you, you learn and you grow your business acumen. And so when I talk to young people today, it's funny. I was just talking to a young man who played for the Dallas Cowboys. He's like, his career's over. And he told me, he says, I want to start a business. I said, well, you don't know how to start a business. That's the problem. We all make our, make our money playing pro sports and you make a significant amount of, of income. It's got to last you the rest of your life. And you think that you can walk from something that you're great at into something you have no idea what you're doing. And you're also going to be great at that. And that's a problem. That's where the majority of pro athletes get themselves in trouble uh, financially. And so, like I told the young man, you, you don't have, you know, and he hasn't finished his college degree. I said, so that's a hindrance. But the biggest thing is you have no experience. So if you want to own a McDonald's one day, I suggest you go and get a job at McDonald's and work at McDonald's for the next three years. And so we talked about that. So that's where it all started for me. And then it just kind of crescendoed from there. Well, hold on. I got to know what was Coach Smith's call to you after you purchased your first dealership? Uh, he, he looked at me and he, he actually, I was in Chapel Hill. That's a great question. I was back in Chapel Hill for the summertime playing, getting in shape and working out. And, uh, I went in to talk to him, tell him I was going to do this. And so he said, okay, he's looking at it. He says, why do you want to do this? I told him, you know, my, my hopes and dreams. I love cars. I love automobiles, you know? And he, he said, okay, what's the educational piece? I never will forget. He said, what's the educational piece? You don't have a business degree you have a broadcast journalism degree. I said, well, I've spent the last two years, coach, going every day. And I laid it all out for him. I said, this is how the hmm. business works. This is how you capitalize the business. This is blue sky. This is a disadvantage to this. And after we talked about it for two or three days, he said, I think this is a great idea. I think you should do this. <laughs> Which I was going to do it anyway. But he said, I think you should do this. <laughs> you just needed his so, blessing. <laughs> I just needed his blessing. Absolutely. So Brad Doherty, I was in a garage once at Fontana with Michael Jordan and all the people were hanging around his motorcycle team. Yeah. And the conversation seemed like a locker room. Yeah. Uh, and I want to draw another step into a boardroom and to see what similarities there might be between you've been in all three. Are yeah. the similarities the same? Uh, somewhat, you know, you have, there, there obviously is the pecking order. And I think the thing that, you know, when you're in a boardroom, uh, compared to a locker room, um, the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest difference is obviously decorum. <laughs> so, so, but and smell, but, yes, yes. But, uh, <laughs> You know, the emotions and the, the theory and the thought and everything, it, it, you know, it, it's all along the same lines. You know, in, in, in most board, the thing that I learned from sports that's helped me in business the most, especially uh, in boardroom situations, and I'm on a couple of different boards, I chair a couple of different boards. I think, you know, it, when you build a team, the smart teams and the best teams are ones that are built with, uh, obviously very, very talented individuals, but eventual individuals that can be held accountable. That, that's what, that's the most important thing. The same thing in business, you know, when you're looking at any area of a business and you're sitting and talking to, if, if it's a, if it's a manager, uh, uh in, in a certain part of a brand of a business, 
and they have the they're selling Q-tips, and you're talking to them about their Q-tip sales and in their weakest regions and why they're struggling. You may offer some advice, but you want that person to be the expert. And so, same thing on a on a basketball team or a football team. Okay, I want my offensive right guard to know his job better than I know his job. You know, I I want my my district manager uh, in my my sales, you know, in my company to know his district much better than I know it. I just want to be able to add some 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 detail, some thought, some theory, maybe some think tank type of opportunities in both uh, that creates growth. And I think that's the thing you learn, especially being in a competitive environment, because the one thing you do, I figured out, is the competition in the boardroom is, is ever, it's, it's, it's the exact same. I mean, that, that competition is high. Ego is high. And, and a lot of times that ego leads to a lot of success. But we also know what comes with that ego. Same thing in sports. You know, that ego, you have to have tremendous ego to be successful uh, in sports and, and because you have to have such self-belief and, and the same thing in business. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic in parallel. Uh, it's just, like I say, the decorum is a little different. Listen, we had uh, Ray Evernham on last week. And again, he was, he was the one that suggested prior, I mean, after we contacted you that you got to get Doherty in the freak nation. He's got some <laughs> stories. But the one story that he told was you two during the SRX racing broadcast were doing your damnedest, or at least he was doing his damnedest to crack you up before <laughs> you went live on TV. Is that true, Bad Doherty? And so, was he using was he using the Martha Fokker term to get you to uh, crack up? <laughs> so let me tell you, man, I, I've known Ray Everham forever. And I will unequivocally tell you he is the smartest guy in all of motorsports. He is absolutely brilliant. Now, if you hung around us, you wouldn't think that. I will I will preface that because we, we are a couple of idiots when we get together. And we love to laugh. I did 10 years, actually nine years of television with Ray. We did the pit studio work for ESPN uh, many, several years ago. And it is just unbelievable to listen to him and, and, to, and to talk to him about his, you know, racing theory, as well as the physics and the knowledge and the engineering. It's unbelievable. But it's also fun to go on a motorcycle ride with him across country and <laughs> bounce in and out of every dive bar in the country and just just see the different personality. But yeah, he man, he he wears me out. He we laugh all the time because we don't take ourselves too seriously. And we love to be around people that really think they're special. And we just will, I mean, it's, it's, we will, it, he is the best. He'll have a conversation with this person who's really thinking a lot of themselves and, and I'll be standing. He's kind of looking at me while he's talking to the person and he's having a really serious conversation. <laughs> and then the person walks away and then he'll give me these big eyes. Like, can you just believe what that person? Yeah, he, he is hilarious. So yeah, he's always trying to get me to crack up and I'm gonna crack up anyway. That's just kind of who I am and had a great time doing the SRX series. I mean, his, you know, everything that, that went into that series was his brainchild, and it just came off without a hitch. Uh, unbelievable racing, unbelievable competition. The competitors, world-class 
uh, you know, drivers. Just, man, what a fun, fun atmosphere to go to these short tracks around the country and put on this show two hours on a Saturday night primetime TV and, you know, 10,000 people in the stands and a million and a half people watching. It was absolutely a blast. That sounds like, Brad Doherty, when you mentioned you and Ray Everingham going into a dive bar, sounds like <laughs> the beginning of the joke. And <laughs> it usually was. Oh, it usually was, yeah. People taking you seriously. I just had an image in my head. Here's this seven-foot <laughs> black guy walking in with this six-foot white guy. And they can't help oh, but man, think I, I've been to something's about to happen here. Oh, we, we've been all over, been into, you know, riding motorcycles and Sturges, dead, just craziest place. You would never believe some of the places we've been. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I've got some stories. I've been around. Well, give us like, one. Come on, don't leave us hanging there. Give us one. <laughs> Brad Doherty and Ray Everham walking Unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have anything that's G-rated funny. So... We'll leave it at that. I just, I don't have, I don't have anything. Let me, I'll keep thinking as we go along. If something pops up, I'll see if I can slide it in. Well, let, let me jump in here real quick. Brad, okay. our name is Speed Freaks. Uh, we've done our dangdest to, uh, see, I just use dangdest to damnedest. We've done our damnedest <laughs> to uh, keep, keep things above board. But Lucas Oil, General Tire, they've stuck with us for 21 years, and it certainly hasn't been because of our cleanliness as a radio show. We're called Speed okay. Freaks for a reason. So PG-13 works. I think our affiliates and all of our audio apps will go along with that. So you could stoop as low as PG-13 if you can come up with something, okay? All right. All right. So I got a great great story. So (laughs) this is, uh, oh, man, this has got to be maybe six years ago. It's really when when Twitter was really starting to kind of take off, okay? And uh, we were doing the pre-race show, myself, Rusty Wallace, um, Nicole Briscoe, Alan Beswick, and Ray. And so every week we're going to these places. And, and what you don't know about Ray is, is Ray has a, he, he is a very cerebral guy, but he's got a, he's got, a, he's got a little bit of a temper and, and it's really funny. He, he can get, he can get really fired up. And so, uh, cause see, and I, I loved it cause he, you know, Jeff Gordon and Rusty used to go at it all the time. And so Ray and Rusty, I sat between them. We worked on a set, and they it would get a little in, and I would kind of egg it on a little bit. I'd be like, man, Rusty. I'm like, how overrated is Jeff Gordon? And Rusty just would take the bait. He's like, oh, I can't stand Jeff Gordon. He's like, yeah, he got all this. He couldn't drive a net. And so Ray would be sitting there, and then Ray would be like, yeah, but, you know, how many championships? So I'd get it started. I loved it. And then those two would almost go nose to nose. So anyway, we're sitting there one day. And I was t- I was kidding Ray. I said Ray, I said man, you always trying to fight. I said you too love to fight. But he's like, I know. He said I'm not scared to fight. I just so Ray's sitting there and he's like, man, you got to get on Twitter. I said I'm not getting on Twitter. I'm not talking to any Twitters. I got. I'm not talking to people who are in their mama's basements. It's not gonna happen. He's like, you've got to do it for your business. I said, all right. I said, what do you? How's it working out? He says, man, I got all these people following me. It's great. I'm gonna use it for my business stuff. I said, okay. So we go another week. And we're sitting there, and we're we're good. We're, we're going air. We got to sit there. We got our coat towel, but we just got blue jeans on. And I think we're at Phoenix. We're up on the hill, and Ray's sitting there, and he's looking at his phone. He's doing his Twitter, and we do a hit for the TV. And all of a sudden, the guy comes on and says, "You got a five minute break," and Ray flies out of his chair. 
and he goes out the door and he's gone. And then Rusty's like, what's wrong with him? I said, I don't know. And so I go out the door and I look and there's this big dirt bank and Ray is headed up this dirt bank. Now he's got a coat and tie and he's dressed real nice and he's pulling dirt. He's walking up there and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, this guy has been MFing me for the last 15 minutes on Twitter. He's at the racetrack and I'm going to kick his ass. I'm like, Ray. <laughs> What are you doing? You don't know who this person is. You don't know. He's no. He said he's up here at the top of the hill, and I'm going to go, and he's getting ready. I said, Ray, are you crazy? You don't. This guy could be standing up there with a gun or 20 people. Get your ass back in there. What are you doing? So I had to go and had to get it and bring him back. He was fit to be tied. And so we sit him down, and he's all sweaty, and we got to be on TV. And he is absolutely enraged. I was like, yep. At Twitter, aren't you glad? Gonna gonna build your brand. You're gonna build your brand by climbing some hill, fighting some hill jack who's gonna kick your butt. And then how are we gonna explain this on national TV? Oh, he was beside himself. So that's one that's one little Ray Evernham story. You don't mess that's with Ray. Awesome. Well, when we when we get you back in here for video, all right, yeah. at a later later date, have one or two for him because he's we've got video of him talking about you that we'll show you during our next video next interview. All right. <laughs> so wow. Can you can you basically confirm that Ray Everham and Rusty Wallace do not send each other Christmas cards? No, that does not happen. No, no, yeah. no. So that was legit in studio. Oh man, almost ten years. Those we had to sit. I had to sit between those two, and it was they were. I'm telling, and it was just it was so easy. And I'm like a I'm like a third grader. I Man, I just love, I just love the, the the aggravation. And I just would sit there and I'd be like, man, I remember Ray. You guys at Richmond were so good with Jeff because you know that's where he wrecked Rusty, wrecked Rusty real bad that time. And Ray and Rusty about came. Ray took a swing at one of his. And I'd say it with my back to Rusty. And Rusty would be like, yeah, but you know, I won Richmond like seven times. And then Ray would be like, yeah, but we won four championships. And like, oh, it, it was just great. It was great. It was it was great. I loved it. Every week. It was my play toy. I mean, I, it was just my shiny object for about nine years. I could just sit there and manipulate these two. And they would art. It was just awesome. And then one would walk out. And, you know, Rusty would walk out. And Ray would be like, man, I really don't like that guy. You know, he just does. Or, or Ray would walk out, Rusty, be like, he thinks he knows everything. Man, Jeff Gordon couldn't drive a nail. He was an idiot. Oh, I just loved it. I'd sit there, I'd be like, I know, man. He was so overrated as a race car driver. I can't believe it. I can't believe he won four championships. They must have been giving them away. Oh, Woody, where in the hell have you been for 21 oh. years? I mean, we, we are the instigators of all. Why? We're in Come on, buddy. Yeah, good, stuff, have, the, good stuff. The four of us could have instigator 101 classes on oh, Zoom. Just sit and play with my, like I say, that was the shiny object for about nine years from me. I couldn't wait to get in that pit studio. And those two, it was just awesome. It was awesome. All right, Brad, we'll end it with this. Okay. I get aggravated when people. I'm a I'm a music fiend, sports fiend, motorsports fiend, and I get aggravated when I see this on on Twitter, your favorite avenue for social media, <laughs> where people put the Beatles or Rolling Stones. Yeah. Same thing about LeBron, Michael Jordan. Sure. That 
why in the hell is we as human beings try and compare to, to the two of the greatest yeah. bands and two of the greatest basketball players and argue about it? Yeah. Where does, yeah. Where does Brad Doherty stand on that? 100% because we're stupid. Uh, that's all there is to it. We, we have to have something to argue about. We have to be witness to the greatest this, the greatest that. It's the dumbest argument ever. It doesn't work. You can only the only way you can can quantify who the best is is by position. So if you want to say Magic Johnson's the greatest point guard ever, Michael's the greatest two guard ever, Le- LeBron's the greatest three, I think Bob Pettit's the greatest power forward ever, and Kareem's the best center. That's a legitimate conversation and argument. But the whole Michael versus LeBron, that's just that's 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 just idiocy. And it's it's media driven, to be honest with you. Because mm-hmm. it gets true. people you know, everybody wants to say, well, you know, because what happens is the people from their era get all hyped up about, well, my era is better than your era. My guy's better than your. You can't. Do, it's just like watching the Olympics. Two weeks ago, we get beat uh, in the Olympic Games by Spain, and Kevin Durant played horrible. He's terrible. He played great the other night. Well, he's the best player in the world. You know, we just, we, <laughs> these huge, these huge exclamations. He's the best player in the world. Okay. All right. Compared to what? I mean, I mean, uh, I thought, you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy how we do it today. And everyone buys into it. And it's just, it's just like politics. You know, we're so, mm-hmm. we're so divided in our country because of politics and everyone, people just aren't smart enough to see that politics use us all. They just yeah. use us all. It's no good for any of us. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, whatever. It's all garbage. But we're not smart enough to see that. We all, oh, we're, I'm affiliated with this party. And, you know, you Democrats are doing this. You Republicans are doing it. Just like with this COVID. This is the craziest stuff. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. I mean, what can we just who can give us some facts? Just give me some facts. I don't care what your, your, you know, your opinion is. Give me some facts. And we just can't, we can't do that in this country because everyone's got a platform. Everyone's got something to say. And if the, the more negative it is, the bet. It's just crazy. crazy. Who would fact win? Fact is, fact is, Brad Daugherty just crushed it in his first Freak Nation interview. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> who would who would win in a muscle re- muscle wrestling contest? Uh, Rusty Wallace or Ray Evernham? Oh, I'm gonna call Ray and ask. I'm gonna call both of them. I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna stir that up. Oh, that's great. Oh, no. I love it. I gotta talk to Ray. All right, that's on Twitter. Put it on Twitter. Ray said, Ray said, you kick your butt. And then I'll see Ray and I'll be like, man, I talked to Rusty. And he wished you did take a swing at him that time. Oh, these guys, they're so competitive, man. I said, you guys are old. You know, old has been. Nobody cares. It's great, though. I love it. I love it. Well, BD, let's uh, let's don't, don't be a stranger, man. This is fantastic. Uh, if you ever got some time you want to fill, uh, we're happy to <laughs> help you fill it, buddy. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on. I'm gonna get on this plane here and go, but I'd love to do it again. Yes. And uh, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank Brad Doherty, you. thank you very much. All right, take care, guys.